Hi, podcast listener. Welcome to Truth About Exits, a show dedicated to pulling back the curtain to reveal what it really takes to get deals closed. You'll hear directly from founders of companies who have raised capital, sold their companies, and even those who acquire other companies for growth. I'm your host, Corin Woodmass. I'm a dealmaker, advisor, and when I'm not closing deals, I love to talk to others about their deals and what it took to get them closed. And now you can listen into these conversations too. For all the show notes and more resources, go to truthaboutexits.com. And we're live. Today on Truth About Exits, we have Chris Novak. Chris grew his business to around $4 million in annual sales and sold within only three years of launching his business. And now he's looking to do it all over again. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I'm really excited to dig into the details as much as we can talk about on this transaction with you. And I'd like to start with at the beginning, really, of when you actually decided to sell the business. So you were operating a successful business. What was the thought process behind deciding to sell? So kind of funny about that. I mean, literally it was uh, a guy had called me that I was friends with just through the Amazon businesses. And he's like, Hey, I just talked to, you know, this broker and he can give me this X multiple for my business. And I kind of said, you know, to him, like if, if I could get that multiple for my business, I will gladly sell it. And that's really how it started. And then I just kind of like started investigating it more at the same time, the business had reached a point to me that was just like kind of never even imaginable, really, when I started the whole thing. And so I had never wanted a large company outside of, you know, my home office. I just wanted to do really started this thing as like a side gig and it grew to this large level for a side gig. And so it just seemed like an opportune time to look into selling it and then kind of proceeded from there. Absolutely. It sounds like a familiar story. A lot of the entrepreneurs that we meet that get started on Amazon specifically find if they get the combination right with the power of Amazon and doubling down on what works, they can build pretty significant businesses pretty quickly. So getting to around 4 million in annual sales in only three years in traditional brick and mortar businesses would be pretty tough. So that's the power of Amazon. <laughs> so, right. so a friend of yours had spoken to a, a broker They'd thrown out a number and you thought, hey, if I could get that, that's worth it to me to sell the business. So, And then you went into research mode and looked into that a little bit more. So did you interview other advisors or brokers and how did you go about that process? Yeah, I talked to two brokers and there weren't you know, many in the space really because you know, I started looking into this. It was actually like two and a half years in that I had reached the 4 million-ish level and started looking into this and then you'll you know, hear later that it took six months to close. But um, basically, I interviewed two and made my decision based on based on the one who gave me the most aggressive valuation. Because uh, that's what I wanted, you know, is a higher dollar. So makes sense. And I will preface this by saying, we weren't the broker you sold with. <laughs> so <laughs> but that's, we're not going to talk specifically about the brokerage. There's pluses and minuses to every advisor and broker out there. But what I'm really interested in talking about is the actual deal as much as we can talk about today. Yeah. So, okay, you spoke to a couple of brokers. You went with the one that gave you the best feeling on price moving forward. And what did you do next to prepare the business for sale? What was that process like? 
So the broker asked me to fill out, you know, tons of questions. I, I forgot how many pages it was, but eight or 10 pages of just everything you can think of for like prospective buyers to look at. Uh, and then also like some audited financials from my tax lady. So we put together those two things that only took a, I don't know, a couple of weeks, you know, and then pretty much got the listing live. So and then you said, awesome. So that was a pretty quick process. And you mentioned that it was also a quick process before you started talking to different buyers. So how long did that take? Yeah. So we listed it and I remember the first week was just kind of like crickets and I was like, oh great, you know, <laughs> no interest. And then by the next week, I think we, we had like four or five calls scheduled the following week. So week two, and by the end of the week two, we had three offers. So it went quick, the initial process from listing to kind of like offers. And then Excellent. it got, yeah. So that tells me that you did something right in building the business if you had competing <laughs> offers, which is awesome. So how did you go through and decide which buyer to work with out of those three offers? So one of them was kind of immediately eliminated because they were like a low ball offer. The other two were pretty close in value or offer or whatever, you know, in similar terms. And one of them turned out to be a low, I was living in Orange County at the time. And one of them turned out to be a local guy, Orange County. And he had like reached out to me after the fact, like, cause the first initial calls with each of these are like over a kind of like a conference call and the brokers listening in. And so he reached out to me after the fact and basically, you know, expressed that he like was very interested in the business and all the reasons why and all the reasons why he liked the niche in particular and my business in particular and then turned out he was you know 20 minutes away from me so we got to end up meeting up for lunch and so that was who i chose just based on knowing him versus someone halfway across the country that i just had a, a kind of a single conversation with that's a really good point that you raised there i think oftentimes on the buy side, at least, when I'm dealing with first-time buyers or newer buyers, they don't realize how much that can actually play in the deal structure or winning the deal, especially in competitive environments like this deal was, where you want to extend that offer to get to know the person a little bit more, let them get to know you. Um, it's actually a lot more psychology involved in deal making than the numbers. The numbers help and they need to be there and they need to be accurate. Mm -hmm. But um, it's actually that personal touch that really matters. We were dealing with a large private equity group that raised about half a billion in debt and very experienced in business acquisitions. The number two guy I was dealing with next to the CEO in that company actually had a psychology degree. <laughs> so we would have all these conversations back and forth. And once I figured out that was the case, I realized how important actually psychology is in the deal-making process. So yeah, side note there, but that's really cool. And also worked for you because as we'll talk about, the process was quite drawn out. So both of those two offers that were around the same value, they were both looking to use the SBA program. Correct. to help acquire the business. So the SBA is a, a US-based organization. It's a government-backed organization, the Small Business Administration. Essentially, they're trying to generate trade and commerce for the US economy. So they back a lot of these loans and they cover the bank or the lender if the borrower defaults. 
So that's why these loans are so popular. Sometimes you can get in as low as 10 or 15% down, although that is changing a little bit at the moment. We're doing a couple of these right now. So that's probably going to change. But how is that process from your perspective? So both the buyers were looking to use an SBA loan on the deal. So how did that what happened next once you started that process? Yeah, so we started the process. And so all this happened in October of 2017. It's kind of the listing it. And then I think that offers were like the first week of November and all that. And so from there, the process took a long time. It was six months. And so it was frustrating to say the least as we got, I forget our original closing date they promised us was like February 15th or something like that, which already seemed like a long time away from November, beginning of November. But part of that was waiting for the financials to close out for the year. And so I forgot we got, we got to February 15th and they were like, Oh, by the way, you know, because you're, it's a California business and you're in California, you have to do, I forgot even what the term was, but <laughs> it's like back in the day of Billy, the kid skipped town and he had owed debts to someone. He was trying to sell his business before he skipped town. Essentially, there was a law made that basically said he had to put an ad in the newspaper. Kind of like when you in California, they make you do the same thing when you form an LLC. Well, because I was selling the business, I had a list in the newspaper that I was selling it, who I was selling it to. And the reason was in case I owed anyone money. And I was like, you got like, if I own anyone money, they're going to be in China anyway, in this type of business, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be, not going to be some guy that's <laughs> reading the local newspaper. So like, what is this going to prove, you know? And that delayed it like another, like, you know, couple months. And then they just kept on. I mean, they had other delays to the bank. I won't name the bank either. Like I won't name the broker, but the bank, it was actually their first ever FBA business that they had funded through the program that, I forget what what's, what's the, uh, the SBA, SBA program. Yeah. SBA, SBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was their first ever SBA loan on an FBA business. And so there was that excuse too, that their underwriters didn't get it and all that. So yeah, it took six months with, I mean, probably three or four different dates promised on a closing. And then even down to the last day, like the wire was an issue getting the wire over to me. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So six months of back and forth. So did the business change at all during this process? Yeah. So, you know, that's the one thing that I would advise for anyone if they are looking to sell their business and the process of selling their business is don't change a thing. Like don't let up on the throttle because through this process, you know, I initially was given the February 15th date. And so January was always a really busy month for us, you know, and we also had the holidays, you know, in that time. And so we had good months of December and January coming up. So I was like, okay, well, those are going to be great months. And then February is just a half a month. Like, I don't really have to do anything else, right? I can just kind of coast the rest of this time out already kind of in halfway vacation mode here. And, you know, through that, I just wasn't as attentive to the business essentially. And so we had a little slip on some of our skews towards the end of the year and beginning of the following year. And then, you know, through that process, when the final financials came in, because we had basically estimated what the numbers would be through the end of the year. And so when the numbers came in final, like the final, final numbers for the end of the year, the actual numbers, they were lower than what we estimated. So then through that, we had to revise the, basically the sales price down. And at that point, I actually went back to both the original offers and kind of gave them, here's the deal and here's the price I'm willing to accept and here's why. 
And the non-local guy was actually like a higher bidder at that point. And so I kind of went to the local guy and I was just completely honest with him because we had built that trust. And I said, here's the, you know, pretty much here's the other offer. Like if, if you want to match it, this is exactly what I'm willing to take. This is the terms I'm willing to take. Like if you're okay with that deal, then we can move forward. And, and he was. So yeah, that's the one thing is just don't back off. Keep everything going like 110% like you normally do when you're building that business. Just until you get that wire in your bank, then you can relax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As much as we'd like to believe that a deal's done, it's never done until the wire's in the bank. And if there's any deal structure as well, until all of that is done, you're still needing to be in the business somewhat. And that's all negotiated. Um, I'm curious specifically with this deal. So after the year-end numbers came in, you mentioned that you went back to both buyers. So were you out of your exclusivity period by that time on the letter of intent? So I actually hadn't even signed a letter of intent up to that point. It was all just like verbal communication because to me, it was like, we're waiting for these final numbers. So let's just wait for the final numbers and then I'll, you know, sign. So uh, Gotcha. Okay. So both of the buyers said, if the numbers come in, this is what we're willing to pay and let's wait until those numbers come in. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but they were both like at the same time, they were already working like on their financing. They were getting pre-approvals. They were like starting all that process, getting all their paperwork in a row and everything. So it was literally like waiting for those final numbers and then, yeah, kind of go from there. And you negotiated those terms or negotiated with the buyers directly? Your advisor didn't do that for you? No, yeah. They didn't really negotiate much of anything for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, yeah. One of the, the tricks we do, or not tricks, our process at that point is when we're negotiating with other buyers, we never reveal the actual deal structure or the terms and the price. We don't reveal anything. It's all blind. And the reason we do that is to give our sellers the best outcome possible because you don't know how much that buyer would have come up. All we say is, look, there's an offer that's higher than yours. Mm -hmm. And we give them loose guidelines as to maybe terms, let's say, but not the specifics of the high level price and the actual specific terms. We give them guidance on what it looks like and they can come back in, they can come in higher, but you find where the market's level is not just matching the better offer because it may have gone higher. So, okay, that's interesting. So once you agreed to terms, you got the final numbers in, you went under LOI, then started the rest of the process. Yes. So were there any other changes in revenue, net profits during the time until the finance was actually approved and you put in your ad in the paper and things? <laughs> um, no, there was normal because like I said, January was always busy for the business. And then February tapered off a little bit and it kind of, you know, that was like the normal taper anyway, but up till I think I was actually trying to look, look at like my original sale. Remember I told you I couldn't remember the date. Well, it was July 22nd, 2015. So I looked up like my screenshot that I have on my phone on my post sale. Oh, wow. But through that, I also looked up basically like I was taking screenshots of my sales the last several days just to kind of like, if he ever asked what they were at the buyer or anything I had, I was just going to send him those. But basically we held that we actually like came, we ended up coming back to like a better level towards the end of it, the very, very end up to where like we were at kind of what our original numbers would have been for the trailing 12 months when we listed and assumed. So we did manage to like get some of that back. Cause I actually got into a phase where like this thing might not close Chris and you're gonna have to thinking about 
growing it again. So I got into this like push again and really push things. Wasn't adding new SKUs necessarily. I think I did add a, a SKU that was already launching anyway, like in February, but that was just already scheduled. But everything else was just you know pushing the pay-per-click and pushing with kind of what I know about Amazon to get more sales, you know, running deals and running sales and coupons and all that. So Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's really important. You want to continue operating the business. You want it to be optimized for the exit, but you also want to maintain the business in case something does fall apart in the process because not all deals close, unfortunately. As much as we'd love them all to close, that's not really the case. Exactly. So that was a smart move on your behalf to say, hey, maybe this might not close. Let's keep pushing forward as if I'm not selling the business. Mm -hmm. And what can I do to operate and optimize each day? So that's a good mindset to have during a deal process. And it can also help with the transfer and handover process because if you're in your day-to-day routine, it's very easy to walk through the acquirer Uh, the buyer of your business and show them exactly what you're doing on a day-to-day basis to maintain the business and also what you're doing to grow the business. So how long was the actual handover and training process negotiated in this deal? So I believe we had 60 days of one-on-one support and it tapered really fast. And so the buyer, he had to run a very small Amazon store before. So he had the very basics down but it was more like online arbitrage business. So it never really dealt private label, I believe, and nothing to this like size or magnitude. I also had a virtual assistant that was, I mean, she was the greatest virtual assistant I think that has existed, but she was, she was running, I mean, 90% of the tasks that the business needed. And so I had very, very little to do on a daily basis. And so it started off, you know, obviously intense. The, the very first couple of days are intense because you're transferring over and actually, you know, like the account got put on hold because we changed the information on it and all that. So that was back up within, I forgot what, by the end of the day, that first day. So, you know, got through the initial, just like transfer of everything, right? Transfer over the emails, transfer over all that. And then it really, I mean, it tapered down quickly. I think it was maybe because of the buyer, but we were doing... I don't know, maybe a couple hours a day for the first week after those initial, like the initial two days, we did a couple hours a, a day and then and it tapered down to like a couple hours every couple days. And so it, it tapered down quickly, but the entire period was like a 60 days is what I kind of promised him. Oh, cool. So that was a pretty quick handover. That replicates a lot of what we see as well. The, a lot of that work is front loaded. The buyers will always depending on their experience, ask for a, a longer transition or training period. But typically you can do a lot of that front loaded and then just be there for support if needed, which is good. And you can negotiate that in the terms, which is great. So, okay. So you've got through the whole process and the money, the wire hits your account. So you're officially done. What did you do to celebrate once you closed the, this deal? So I think immediately that night, we went out, my wife and I went out to like our favorite restaurant in Orange County, it was a steakhouse, the ranch. And we had a really nice spa, bottle of Opus One 2010 that we opened that night. And then we tipped the bread guy a thousand bucks. <laughs> that was fun. Wow. <laughs> um, and so after, and it was like almost like because the, the waiter, so the waiter was like rude to us all night for some reason. And then the bread guy comes over smiling. And so we're like, so we purposely, like in front of the waiter, like, here's a thousand bucks for you. Like, thank you for being so nice. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so we did that, and then we and we planned a trip to. We went to Cabo, which just for like a, because we have two kids, and so we got grandma to watch the kids, and we went for I forgot what it was, five or six nights to Cabo, and that was like our big celebration. Oh wow, that's, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, I like <laughs> it. This is something that we advise people to do, and oftentimes we forget to do ourselves in businesses, reward ourselves once something goes right. And you can kind of get that deal fatigue hitting in that it's good that you guys made a point of actually celebrating what you would do and planning what you would do and then also going through with that after the sale. I think that's really important. And how long did that feeling last (laughs) once you um, came back from Cabo or was it sometime during that trip? Like, okay, i got to do something else now <laughs> no it was still like going on and actually then there was like this i had a trip to cancun plan randomly already with like a bunch of other amazon sellers and i would say that was like the end of it because i went there and you know i had known these guys we were in like a facebook group together all of us doing over you know a million dollars the group is called mds million dollar sellers but we had been in there i was like the third or fourth member of that group when it started oh, and wow. So I was, you know, had become friends essentially with these people now for, you know, going on three and a half years or three years by the time this trip had actually, it was like close to three and a half. And I was meeting them for the first time, a lot of them, you know, and then all of them had heard that I had sold my business. And so there was a lot of like hoorahs and celebrating and all that there with these friends that I had built that kind of helped me build my business over the years, right? And so that was like the last thing. And actually right before I left for that trip, I filed my new paperwork for my new LLC for my new Amazon business. And so it was like, <laughs> while I was gone, I got like all my, you know, my new LLC book and all that. So like it was kind of the new business was planned in my head and kind of ready to go by the time I got back from that. Awesome. So you already knew that it was back to work. Let's do this again. And when you reached out to come on the podcast, that was what you led with was, I did this and now I'm looking to do it all over again, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so before we get into what you are doing next, if anything, would you do differently next time if you were to go sell the business again or with the next business? I would say the one thing, like I said, is don't ever let off the gas, you know, because when I was, you know, when I was full into this for the three years. I mean, I was full into it. Like you couldn't take my attention away from anything and let the business suffer basically. So the fact that I, you know, let off the gas, I didn't like do anything negative. And like I said, I had the virtual assistant running the majority of it, but just as the owner, as the CEO or whatever you want to call yourself of a small business like this, a smaller business that's run from home, you know, you are the one making all the calls, all the shop, the bigger picture calls. And so I wouldn't let off the gas until literally that the wire hit my account. And then I might, you know, renegotiate because there was a time at the very end where the LOI or even like it was like a contract at that point, but it had expired because the bank delayed that closing date so long. And so there came a day where I had to re-sign an extended basically extended version of one of the pages of the contract. And at that time I probably would have renegotiated because I had brought the revenue back to kind of where it was when we initially listed. So those two things really, but I don't have any regrets really. I mean, 
the fact that I did what I did in such a short time, I don't think it's possible with any other business that I've seen in my you know, 35 years of being alive. So, Yeah, absolutely. It's a pretty good strategy to just build and sell in a couple of years. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you advise people? So maybe on that trip to Cancun with the MDS guys or in general, when people ask you, when they're thinking about selling their business, what advice would you give them other than not taking their foot off the gas when they're in the sale process? Is there anything else that you'd advise? I think it comes down to also, you know, being selective with your buyers, like don't make it all about, like we talked about earlier, just the money because you're going to be tied to this person for a long time. And if there is any, you know, seller financing or anything like that involved, you, you need to trust that person with that percentage of the business that they still owe you and know that they'll take good care of it and know that they'll grow it and know that they have good intentions. So so just pick the highest bidder, really look at the whole picture because, you know, you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into building it and now you're kind of handing it off and, you know, you want to make sure you get, first of all, like the best dollar amount for it, but that's not just the highest bid because... Oftentimes, you know, there's seller financing or there's something else involved or or maybe you're just tied to this person for a year because they're going to pay you to consult for them for whatever it is. Right. The, the deals are always different. But look at the bigger picture and look at the person you're selling to and make sure that the whole picture fits, not just the dollar amount. Yeah, that's that's awesome advice, Chris. We often say highest price and best deal terms. And we should also add in best buyer (laughs) because you want to really understand where that buyer is coming from. In this case, you mentioned that this buyer had some experience selling on Amazon, even though not with private label products. So understood the ecosystem at least and the risks and what you need to do to maintain sales. So especially if there's rolled equity is a really common structure at many levels and depending on how they're financing the deal obviously can't do that with an SBA loan but rolled equity is something similar to a seller note you're tied to this person and their game plan so what's their experience what's their plan who do you know or who can they introduce you to that have actually done stuff with before these type of things your advisor should help with but don't rely just on them definitely do your own diligence and make sure you're comfortable with that buyer as well you mentioned that you went and met the buyer in person and i think that's kind of underrated we think that having an e-commerce online business everything should be virtual but when it comes to actually getting comfortable with someone to be working with maybe for a couple of years, depending on the deal structure, you really want to be comfortable with that person. Absolutely, <laughs> so yeah. that's, a, that's a great point. So Chris, what are you working on now? So now I have, like I said, I had started that business right before the Cancun trip or started the paperwork at least. And so I ended up launching like 30 SKUs on that last year. And so, you know, I have that going, I'm, I'm adding more to it. I'm kind of waiting to see what's happening with these tariffs because I have a lot, everything I'm doing now is like very customized product and more expensive cost of goods. So just a you know, higher barrier to entry is kind of what I was trying to do with this business this time around. And so I'm waiting to see what happens with the tariffs before I pull the trigger on a couple of these new SKUs, but I have that going. And then I am doing consulting for a lot of other Amazon sellers and businesses, but just their Amazon portion. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. And how do you typically structure that or is it custom each each client that you deal with? Yeah. <clears throat> so everyone is completely custom. You know, I focus a lot, uh, the majority of my clients, I pretty much do 
pay-per-click management for them. And so I, you know, am running everything on their pay-per-click on Amazon. Um, and then some of those I do additional services for, and then others, you know, I'm even helping a, a business that has a lot of capital. They, they do a lot of retail and online arbitrage right now, but they've never done private label. And so I'm kind of helping them launch a whole new private label brand, um, kind of from A to Z as just kind of like their consultant. Wow. That's kind of cool. Awesome. So you, you must really love this ecosystem if you're consulting in it as well as jumping back in with another business. Yeah, it's just, I think it's a shame that if I don't um, put, the, put, put what I learned to use at this point. And so every business, I think there's going to be things that you love and hate about it. I think I'm good at it. And so right now, all the opportunities still there. Yeah, I want to focus a lot of my efforts on it. Awesome. And how can people connect with you or reach out to find out more about your consulting or just connect with you in general? Yeah, so they can email me directly, chris at myppcpal.com, and I'll be glad to get in touch with them. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And is there anything else? I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I love digging into the details of deals, as you can tell, um, which is why we call this show Truth About Exits. Mm -hmm. But is there anything else that either I should have asked you or you'd like to add before we wrap up the show here? I think this was a good episode. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything else to add, really. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for being open about the process and for reaching out to be on the show. Chris, I really appreciate talking to people like yourself that have had a successful exit, but then jump back in and they're back building again. I think that's a sign of a true entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Corinne. Perfect. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Truth About Exits. Now, whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. If your company is doing between 10 to 50 million plus in revenue and you want help to plan your perfect exit to achieve the highest value and best deal terms possible, or if you'd like advice on acquiring other companies to continue to grow your company, we can help. Go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. There you'll see a simple form to tell us a little bit more about you, your company and your goals. And my team and I will take it from there. So go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. The second way I can help is become a guest on our show. If you've had a successful exit, you want to share your story, or if you're actively acquiring other businesses and want to share your criteria with our audience, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash guest. Let's connect and I'd love to talk to you. The third way I can help you is one of my favorite things in the entire world is sharing the truth about exit stories with other entrepreneurs by speaking at events all over the world. So far, I've had the privilege of speaking at events in the US, Canada, UK, Spain, Germany, Ukraine, Czech Republic, over in Asia, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and even Australia. If you'd like me to speak at your next event, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash speaker and tell me a little bit more about your event and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.